Hi, everybody. I'm Joshua Danziger. And I'm Ethan Canfield. Today is Thursday, March 30th, 2023. And this is The Young Perspective, where we talk about America's biggest political and social dilemmas from the eyes of two high schoolers. So I go to SiliconValleyBank.com, and the first paragraph I see is Silicon Valley Bank is open for business, processing payments, funding loans, and serving our clients, now as a division of First Citizens Bank. Your relationship with managers are the same people you have always worked with, and they are here to help answer your questions and provide you with business solutions. We are accepting new clients and new business. This does not sound like the same Silicon Valley Bank that I was hearing about a couple weeks ago in early March 2023. The Silicon Bank that had a run on the bank that couldn't pay its its depositors who you know who, who shut down and the FDIC had to take control. So what happened to Silicon Valley Bank and where is it today? So our story starts three weeks ago on Thursday, March 9th. On this day, Silicon Valley Bank announced uh, they were going to sell its stocks to raise capital to raise capital for potential losses in their funds. And this caused a panic. Investors began to pull out. The stock of Silicon Valley of Silicon Valley Bank dropped. And in that day, $42 billion of deposit withdrawals were requested. And the next day on Friday, the bank closed and the FDIC took control of its funds. Now that was all in the span of less than 24 hours. An entire bank shut down the 16th largest bank in the U.S., and one of the largest bank runs in U.S. history occurred. A few days later, on Sunday, March 12th, Signature Bank, another big uh, tech startup bank, closed, and the FDIC seized control of their assets. This also occurred because the bank could not keep up with the amount of uh, requests to, to remove funds from the bank. This was a panic in the system of banking that started with Silicon Valley Bank, but was quickly spreading. So why did it go under? And it all starts in 2020 with the pandemic. We're still feeling the effects of the pandemic even today. And as what happens in, in most economic crises, it's a time of fervent innovation. 2008, all these startups happened, you know, startups started because people were out of their jobs and people were more likely to take risks. So in, in 2020, you had all these people taking risks, starting startups. And this means there's also a lot more venture capital taking place. So as more venture capital is taking place, all these startups are opening accounts with Silicon Valley Bank, which positions itself as the bank for startups in Silicon Valley. And uh, in, in, the, in the span of time from 2019 to, to 2022, the total amount of deposits in Silicon Valley Bank tripled from $62 billion in 2019 to over $173 billion in 2020, you know, end of 2022. So that really shows what that COVID pandemic did to grow the deposits of Silicon Valley Bank. Now, with all of these new investors and deposits and money in Silicon Valley's bank or in Silicon Valley Bank, they had to figure out what to do with all this money. And so they had all this, this cash lying around and they decided to invest it in low yield long term treasury bonds that were at a fixed low yield interest rate. And now these interest rates are often really safe. They don't fluctuate a lot they're, they, because they're so long term and they have low they have fixed low interest rates. This means that 
usually you can trust them that you know that your money is not going to go, you know, your money's not going to fluctuate. It's not going to leave. But the problem is the U.S. last year faced a lot of inflation. The Fed and, the na- and a lot of national banks around the world, they raised interest rates. And because of this, this affects the bonds and treasury bonds. When inflation increases, these bonds and the interest rates in these bonds don't doesn't increase with them. So when you have uh, a bond that's set at, let's say, a percent of one or two percent, and then the interest rate goes up to three or four percent, that means you're losing money on these bonds. And so Silicon Valley was having millions of dollars, was having billions of dollars in losses because they made these investments on these bonds that were now that were now kind of that were now almost useless in a market that was uh, festered with inflation. So as interest rates increase and you know the the, the your the Silicon Valley Bank makes starts losing money because they could be making more money with the the current interest rates the higher interest rates they lose seventeen billion dollars and you know that's 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 a big loss for a bank especially when when their total amount of deposits is one hundred fifty billion dollars that's what seventeen out of one hundred fifty fifteen fourteen thirteen percent of, of of their of their total amount of value of deposits that's a big loss. So people start to hear about the the loss of the, of their assets and the depreciation of their of their total um, amount of cash, and people start losing faith in the bank. So a small amount of people start withdrawing their money, and this is large amount of withdrawals. You know, small amount of people are withdrawing millions and millions of dollars, and then it gets on Twitter, and some people on Twitter hear about it, and on some Reddit chains, and on some Discord chains, and then other people start hearing about it, and they start withdrawing their money. And this is how a bank run works, where people lose faith in the bank, and then they withdraw money. And other people hear about it, and they withdraw more money. And so, in one day, the the there was there was a request for withdrawal of forty three billion dollars from Silicon Valley Bank, which they struggled to pay out. That's you know they couldn't pay it out. That's what having a run in the bank is, and that's when they shut down because they could no longer pay out um, the, those deposits. And then. The next day, it was estimated that they would have had to pay out another $100 billion. So basically, they would have had to give all their money back to the people, which the money they didn't have. So on Friday, people were you know, terrified. They had millions of dollars of their company's funds invested in this bank, and they didn't know what would happen to that money. The FDIC seized, seized the bank and paused, the, and paused all uh, requests for withdrawals, and they made a state, and the government made a statement that the two hundred fifty thousand that the FDIC is insured or that is insured uh, in insured investments will be paid out um, in the following days, and that for uninsured accounts they would receive, and that for uninsured accounts they would eventually receive their money back um, in full eventually, and so the government did this to to calm down, uh, to calm down investors and people throughout the country, they wanted to make sure that this didn't occur in other banks and that uh, this problem would stop at the source and wouldn't spread to other to other places. Bailing and So in essentially bailing out these investors uh, who had uninsured investment, who had an uninsured deposits, they stopped this from spreading. They, or they tried to stop this from spreading further. And and the FDIC was created during the, um, the 1930s, during the Great Depression with the, um, the New Deal, uh, FDR's New Deal. And it was basically to protect the banking system. So the people would always know if banks shut down, if businesses failed, they would always be able to have some money left. Yet the real issue was 
most of the depositors in Silicon Valley Bank were not individuals who were you know investing their life savings, which are going to be around two hundred fifty thousand dollars, half a million dollars in that range. These were corporate people. These these are corporate companies. These are startups which are investing, which are putting millions and millions and millions of dollars into Silicon Valley Bank. So if you have ten million dollars in Silicon Valley Bank and they shut down and the federal government can only pay you back two hundred fifty thousand. Like that, that's not a, a big enough uh, amount of insurance to really be able to have helped these large companies. So pe- these companies lost a lot, a lot of money. So when the bank shuts down and then FDIC took control, um, first of all, the FDIC started paying out these $250,000 to every account, which had $250,000. And then there's basically a list of creditors. So the FDIC started selling off assets to pay back the people who lost all that other money. But in the end, you know, billions and billions of dollars are, are lost, and people who had money in the, in the bank are never going to re- retrieve that money, and it's all gone. So a lot of businesses were extremely hurt by this. Then the government had to also figure out what to do with SVB in terms not just with paying back its depositors, but also buying a new buyer. They couldn't hold on to this bank forever, and so they received two initial offers. Um, the first offer, uh, it said that the first offer that they rejected was from a bank that actually couldn't pay for all of the funds. Uh, and so they rejected this. This wouldn't be enough money, they said, to cover all of the losses. And then the other bank, uh, they said, was a very large bank and they didn't want to create a monopoly. People have criticized this because as SVB was only the 16th largest bank in the US, obviously that's a very large bank, but people thought that this wouldn't necessarily create some monopoly in the banking system. And that Ultimately, maybe the private sector should be allowed to deal with this rather than having the government decide who can or cannot buy the bank. And, you know, so as Silicon Valley Bank wasn't the only bank that that had that lost a lot of money because of higher interest rates and, and inflation. You know, you, the, the Silicon Valley Bank was particularly in a bad situation because they, as it was said, they had six months, the last six months or in the last year, they had like a six month period where they didn't have a risk management department. Nobody was looking at the risk and, and looking into potential issues with the bank. So they really had poor management. But there were other banks around the country who were losing a lot of money because of the inflation inflation rates. So the federal government really wanted to prevent other banks from also having runs on the banks and other banks from also failing. Um, and some other banks did fail and there were ripple effects. Signature Bank shut down um, and then was bought by by another bank. And then there was a, a bank in, in Switzerland known as Credit, Credit Suisse, which was bought by UBS, uh, the massive the massive bank, UBS. Furthermore, people, individuals wanted to spread out their risk to prevent them losing money. So many individuals uh, who had multiple bank accounts spread $250,000 into multiple bank accounts to make sure that they had as much money insured as possible. So they had five bank accounts. They wanted to make sure each of those bank accounts each had $250,000 because the amount of money insured is per bank account up to $250,000. So that's some of the steps people were taking, the government was taking to prevent further impacts of Silicon Valley Bank's downfall. Right. A lot of people were taking the old saying, put, uh, don't put your eggs all in one basket to heart at this time. Not only did this apply just in the sense that if they spread across if they spread out their money across multiple banks, they can make sure that they were insured up to the full amount, but also they can make sure that if one of those banks failed and had more problems and lost uh, and were closed, then at least all of their money wasn't in that one bank. They'd have more of a likely chance of surviving this, uh, surviving this big, uh, this 
surviving this big storm in the banking world. So, so finally, after weeks of FDIC control of Sil- Silicon Valley Bank, um, which was criticized, as we already discussed, because many people said the private sector should have dealt with it from the beginning. But finally, on March 26th, the FDIC announced that First Citizens Bank would acquire Silicon Valley Bank. Um, they purchased about $72 billion in loans, which was already discounted because you know, you're not going to pay full price for a bank that's already failed. But but yet, even though they you know purchased seventy two billion dollars in loans, ninety billion dollars in, in SVB securities and other assets were not included in the sale, and they remain in FDIC control. Um, and what what's going to happen to these assets is they will go to the creditors that lost a lot of money. So they're going FDIC will sell off these assets and then give them to the people that lost money. Still, it will not all be made up. So ultimately, it seems like there has been a solution to this problem. While many people still have lost lots of money and many banks won't recover and had to be sold off, there, uh, a reasonable conclusion has occurred. So, and so now the government is looking towards the future. And on Tuesday, March 28th, Michael Barr, who was, who was the Fed's vice chair of supervision, and two other Fed supervisors uh, were testified before Congress, testified before Congress's Senate Banking Committee to talk about SVB's failure and their response to it. And they were grilled by senators on both sides of the aisle for their lack of foresight and prevention regarding this issue. And the clear takeaway from this, the Congress and, and Senate Bank Committee's discussions and, and them grilling Michael Barr and, and really an investigation into what happened is that the bank failed because there was poor management. If they had put in place the processes and the systems and the checks and balances within their bank to notice they they were losing all this money, they would have been able to inform investors and raise the money they needed to 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 fund the deposits and fund paying the deposits out to their to their depositors. Yet they had no foresight, and the management wasn't paying attention. So I think this is a really a lesson to all banks: don't fire your risk management people. Have risk management people. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We want to remind you to listen each to check back in each week for our new episodes and check out our website, theyoungperspective.net or our Instagram, the underscore young underscore perspective. And remember, this was The Young Perspective.